This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's show is a special and challenging one because we're recording it live outside in front of the State Library in the heart of Melbourne at a special event called Autumn Fest. Autumn Fest is a celebration of hope and music live on stage in the city of Melbourne. We've had many wonderful musical performances, but it's also an opportunity to explore some of the big questions asked by people on the streets walking past us here today. We're going to ask three big questions to three different guests. We're asking, is God real? Why doesn't God fix up all the suffering in the world? And hasn't science disproved God? They're all big questions and we have some terrific guests who will each have about seven or eight minutes to confront one of these big questions. So that means that today is going to be a short and sharp and we'll cover a lot of ground. So strap yourselves in as we confront some of the biggest questions asked by those on the streets here today in Melbourne. And our first big question today is, is God real? We're asking this big question today to Karen Morris. Karen has worked with Christian University students for decades and also has a website called Graphic Faith, which explores and explains the Christian faith visually. And she joins me now. Please welcome Karen Morris. Thank you. Karen, welcome to Bigger Questions. Thank you for having me. Now, Karen, we confront these big, you know, we confront big questions on this show, and this is perhaps one of the biggest of them all. In fact, leading atheist proponent Matt Dillahunty claimed that the question of the existence of God is the is the most important question anyone can ever answer. So, Karen, is this big question important? Well, I agree with Matt Dillahunty completely. Uh, if there is a God, it is the most important question that there is. There is no other question that has the same impact. And so we need to actually ask the question, is God real or is he just a philosophical construct? Because if he's a philosophical construct, we can just leave him out of our life. But if he is real, then we actually have to deal with a supreme authority, a higher power. If there is a higher power, then we can't just ignore that higher power. It would be like going to university and saying, I'm not going to do exams or assignments because they can't tell me what to do. Of course they can tell you what to do. They're in authority. And so we really need to answer the question, is there a higher power? And if there is, what do I do about it? So how do I know that there is a higher power? Because I look around and I don't see one with my eyes. So how do I know that there's a higher power there? Well, there are two answers to that question. One is, uh, can we see everything there is to be seen? Clearly not. Clearly not. And also, how do we explain how the world is? We can explain how it became the way it is, but we can't explain why it became the way it is. And the why answer is God. Yeah. Uh, but why does it have to be God? Why can't it just be something like, you know, natural or something bigger that we just don't know yet? Uh, yes, well, that's a possibility. Slime plus time equals this. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there are all sorts of indicators that God is more than just an imagination, our imagination. So when we look at humanity, we have a longing for justice, a longing for fairness. Where does that come from? Slime plus time doesn't make that. Yeah. Uh, our personal characteristics aren't the result of 
a straight evolutionary experience. Right, okay. There's something bigger going on here, perhaps. Yes. Yes, yes. So then, well, famed atheist philosopher Bertrand Russell was asked what he'd say if he'd died and met God, and God asked him why he hadn't believed in him. He replied, not enough evidence, God, not enough evidence. So how can we know that God is real? Well, I have to say that there are times when I think, yeah, not enough evidence too. I feel it myself. And then I look at the impact that Jesus has had over the last 2,000 years and I think, what am I talking about? Not enough evidence. One single person changed the course of history 2,000 years ago. Of course there's evidence. And the problem is... When we say not enough evidence, we say we meaning not enough evidence that suits me. It's yeah. the underside of that question, isn't it? Come on, God, show up now my way. Yeah. So what, what convinced you then? Was it, is, that, is it something to do with Jesus, is it? Well, yes. So in year 12, I was seriously depressed and lost. And for me, I became a Christian because the alternative was suicide. Really? Do you want to unpack perhaps if it's okay a bit sure. about that journey, about what, what, what made Jesus better than suicide? Well, I had an experience that made me think, is there a God? If there is a God, it's this whole question of authority. If there is a God, I can't just ignore a God. What do I do with a God if, if a God really exists? So I pick up a Bible and I start to read from the beginning, the hard bits. Yeah. <laughs> And I read every footnote thinking sooner or later this is going to make sense, but it doesn't. But what I worked out in that reading was that God was God, I was not. And if I was not God, then God was not happy with me. Because I was not happy with me. I didn't reach my own standards. And eventually I worked out, as I'm still reading, that God has to fix the mess in my life. The mess I've made and the mess that is in my life. Because I can't do it. I clearly can't do it. So then I'm stuck. What do I do? And I hear about Jesus one yeah. day and I think this brainwave, this light goes off in my head and I think that's how God fixes the mess. I don't know exactly how it happens and I discover later it's Jesus dying for me in my place. But that's how God fixes the mess in my life. He exchanges his life for my mess. Yeah. And so I go home and I pray and I become a Christian. I pray, God, I've screwed up my life. You can have it if you want. And then I think, I think Christians say amen. <laughs> so I go, uh, uh, amen. And God just filled me with joy. Really? Changed me completely. Yeah. And I still suffer from depression. And the only thing that keeps me alive is knowing that God is real. Wow. That's what keeps me alive today. And so that's made a big difference to you in your life beyond totally. that moment? Well, I wouldn't have a life. I would be, I, there's no question that I would have taken my life at some point mm. uh, without God, without knowing that Jesus' death on my behalf fixes the mess in my life. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing today, Karen. It's been fantastic to hear some of your story and some of this reflection on this big question. Maybe I'll just ask you just to reiterate. So how would you answer the big question? So is God real? Yes, absolutely God is real. God changed history, changed lives, and continues to change lives. Jesus proves it. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much. Please, a big round of applause for Karen 
Morris, who shared some of her reflections and the testimony and the, di- and the big difference that Jesus and God has made in her life today. So thanks very much. Today's Bigger Questions show is a special one because we're recording live outside at Autumn Fest, a celebration of hope and music in the middle of Melbourne. It's also an opportunity to explore some of life's biggest questions. We've just heard the powerful story of Karen Morris as she shared her reflections on the big question, is God real? So today we're asking three of the biggest questions commonly asked by people walking past us on the streets right now. And the next big question is perhaps one of the toughest, if not the toughest question, that people ask about the Christian faith, which is suffering. Why doesn't God fix up all the suffering in the world? We're asking this big question today to Sandy Citro. Sandy works as a pastor at Cross Culture, my church right in the heart of Melbourne. is actually right across the road from where we are today. And he joins me now. Sandy, welcome to Bigger Questions. Thanks so much, Rob. That was a pretty big round of applause. Sandy, Great welcome to, to Bigger Questions. Now, this question is a massive challenge. It's a massive for, one. To belief uh, for many people. In fact, recently on Twitter, someone asked, what was the biggest reason people stopped believing in God? And the problem of evil and suffering came up repeatedly. One person, Omari T, said, rich, despicable people living long lives of luxury and poor, innocent children starving to death. I don't see how a fair God could allow that. So, Sandy, what do you say to that? Isn't God supposed to be a God of, of love and fairness? I think, like you said, uh, Rob, this is a massive question, and people from generation to generation have been asking these questions, and so I don't suppose that we can resolve this tension anytime soon, but I would just to, I would just like to invite us just to consider a couple of things, at least. Firstly, that, firstly, that the, uh, uh, a lot of human sufferings are actually caused by human selfishness. Like what Omari said about the rich and the poor, uh, that's more because of human selfishness. Uh, God gave us free will, but unfortunately, we use that to enrich ourselves. We use that to satisfy ourselves rather than being selfless and being generous. Uh, so therefore, we must not be so quick to, to blame God. Uh, another thing for us to consider is that uh, all of us know that uh, all of us know some people who are or who have suffered and who have grown as a result on the other end. Um, of course, we don't wish suffering for anyone, uh, but chances are if we hadn't gone through sufferings ourselves, uh, we wouldn't have grown as a person as we have. Um, like ev- even as parents, we allow our kids to go through some level of hardships uh, <laughs> so that they learn, so that they grow. You, you, uh, so you, they don't get dessert, for example, if they've misbehaved or something like that. Something. Oh, they just don't get desserts. That's it. No, that's <laughs> okay, <joking>. right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so if 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 some good can come out of our suffering, even in hindsight, uh, who are we to say that God cannot foresee some good things that can happen through our suffering? Uh, so. Just like our children's hardships uh, do not automatically mean that they have bad parents, uh, I would think that our hardships, our sufferings, Mm. doesn't automatically undermine the goodness of God. So sometimes there's an upside to suffering or there's actually maybe something bigger going on that we don't necessarily understand, but we can actually benefit from suffering. Many times, unfortunately, it's in hindsight. When we are going through it, it's like going through hell. But in hindsight, usually there are things... Yeah, but I think that explains some suffering. But there's still some suffering that just seems so terrible and so bad that it it just seems like, how could this be of benefit to anyone? In fact, atheist comedian Ricky Gervais once tweeted, he said, God doesn't prevent terrible things because A, he can't, B, he doesn't want to, 
C, he causes them, or D, he doesn't exist. Now, Gervais then cheekily says, you know, please vote now. So what would you vote then, Sandy? I think I'm glad that in countries, democratic countries like Australia, we can choose abstention, right? But no. Yeah. But if I, if I have to choose uh, the lesser of the four evils, perhaps I'll choose number two. Uh, God doesn't want to. But let me explain. Let me clarify. Uh, we know, we believe that God exists and we believe that God can. Uh, but for a reason that only He knows, He decides, He chooses not to prevent some sufferings from happening. Uh, again, uh, looking at my example with my children, for example, I, when I taught them to swim, uh, there were times that I let them go and I let them struggle through paddling, through floating, or even drinking a little bit of pool water if they had to. Not because I wasn't there, I was there, and not because I couldn't prevent it, I could if I wanted to, but I allowed that to happen so that they so that they learn to swim and mm. thank God that all of them can swim now. Yeah, yeah. so there's sometimes there's a reason perhaps but maybe we don't necessarily know exactly. what that reason yes. is. Yes. Now you've recently experienced some suffering in your life, Sandy. You know, maybe how did you process that? Uh, yeah, um, after four years of uh, battling uh, stage four lung cancer, my dad passed away uh, a little bit more than a month ago. And uh, of course, for any one of us here who have lost our loved ones, we know how hard it it can be and I thank God for uh, the support of my church community and I experience God's love through them and uh, and the reality is everyone has and will go through sufferings yes and if there is no God then our suffering is really meaningless uh, it was Bertrand Russell um, a famous atheist who who said that everything in this life is meaningless and he he asked this question and I quote why even lived in such a world and why even die? So for him, life and death is, there's no meaning to it. Uh, but we, we, we are glad that the God of the Bible is not a God who is distant, who is not a, who's not a God who stands aloof from us, but rather he, if anything, he entered through our suffering, he became a human being. And because of that, we have a God who, who, who can empathize with our suffering. And we have a God who who, who can give us the resource as we suffer. And because of that, our, our, our suffering can be yeah. meaningful as well. And so it made a difference for you then in your recent uh, experience? Yes, it has. Uh, it has. And uh, I think uh, especially, um, again, we, we, we try to embrace, right? We try to embrace, as much as we try to embrace that death is a natural part of life. We said, oh, death is just part of life. But if you have lost your loved ones, you know that death is just not supposed to be you know that there's something wrong in this world. And the Bible is right that death is the last enemy to defeat. And what ultimately gave me comfort is that the fact that Jesus has defeated death. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he said that he's the resurrection and the life. Yeah. And he is the one who has risen from the dead. And he said that uh, when we are in him, mm. we will rise again with him. So there's hope in the midst of suffering? Oh, there is hope, uh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Well, fantastic. Thanks so much for sharing today, Sandy. It's a big question that we've kind of compacted into such a, a short period of time. So we we'll just ask you to, just to reflect on, so Sandy, why doesn't God fix up all the suffering? See, again, I think uh, there are many, many reasons and uh, we can just look at the Bible to, to, to see why God hasn't fixed all the sufferings. There's a lot of reasons and sometimes God prolonged that, God de decided to delay because He still wants many people to know Him. Um, but for sure, we know that he hasn't, he hasn't fixed up all sufferings now, but He will. One day, He will. And um, when He does that, then 
my hope is that we will be with Jesus yeah. and I will be with my dad again. So that's my sure hope. Wonderful. Fantastic. Thanks so much for sharing today. Sandy, big round of applause for Sandy Thanks, Citro, uh, one of the pastors here at Cross Culture Church. So there we have Sandy Citro's reflections on possibly the toughest question that people ask about the Christian faith, suffering. Why doesn't God fix up all the suffering of the world? Today we've been exploring some of life's biggest questions in a special show. We're recording live in front of the State Library right in the heart of the city of Melbourne at Autumnfest, a celebration of hope and music in the city. It's been an opportunity also to explore some of life's biggest questions. Today we're asking three of life's big questions to three different guests and the final big question we're confronting today is about science. Hasn't science disproved God? We're asking this big question to a scientist, Dr. Christina Smith. Christina loves science and the stars and has a PhD in astrophysics from Swinburne University, and she joins me now. Christina, welcome to Bigger Questions. Oh, it's lovely to be here. Yeah, it's a lovely day here uh, in front of the State Library. Now, Christina, it's pretty common to believe that science and the Bible are in conflict, and you even started your scientific studies not as a believer. So did you believe that science and Christianity were incompatible at that point? Yeah, I actually did. I had this vague and mostly unexamined idea that I couldn't be a Christian or believe in God and be a thorough sort of logical scientist. It just wouldn't be possible. Yeah, so that wasn't part of your experience at that particular point. Um, so then what changed? Did you have to jettison your scientific rigour and methodology to embrace the Christian message? No, I didn't. I actually came to believe in Jesus and God um, through investigating that very unexamined belief that I had that they were incompatible. And I went through a series of steps and questions that I answered for myself on my walk to Jesus. So it was, it was a very systematic um, coming to faith for me. And the first question almost, I had... Almost scientific, perhaps. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. I'll unpack your story a bit more. Yeah, so the first question that I had was, well, did I want to believe in God? And I came to the conclusion that I did. I found it intellectually unsatisfying to believe in a universe that had no spiritual involvement at all. Yeah. So I did want to believe in God. And the next question... So, so just on that, do you think that's an important question, that people need to want to, to believe in God, do you think? or? Well, I, I think it's it, it definitely was for me. Right. Um, and I think that starts people on the journey. You, you have to sometimes recognise a hole, recognise something missing in order to go looking. Right. And... I, I agree that Jesus comes looking for you and, and shows you with those holes right. and, and makes you aware of what's lacking. Right, yeah. Um, but you do have to figure out that there's something lacking in order to go looking. Right. So I figured out that there was something lacking. Yeah, so what was the next I part of your journey? I wanted of your to believe in God. And then the next question I had for myself was, could I be a logically consistent scientist given my scientific training and knowledge and believe in this God that Jesus points to? Was it possible? And I, I spent months kind of thinking about this and examining it, because I'd come to the conclusion I wanted to, but, you know, was it reasonable to do so? And I, 
after sort of a lot of talking and thinking and, you know, examining things, I came to the understanding that Bible, the Bible, and the God that Jesus points to is not a God who explains how all the little details happen. You know, you know, the God of the rain. It, he, he isn't that kind of God. Yeah. He's a God that explains why this universe exists. Mm. And, and in fact, why as people, we often have this yearning, and me specifically, but a lot of other people, to understand you know, how the universe is put together because we're made in the image of God. We have this hunger to understand what he created, and that would be normal if we're created by him. So it's, in fact, logically consistent right. to believe in a God once you've looked at how absolutely beautiful this universe is. So I'd answered two questions. I wanted to believe in God. I found it intellectually stimulating to do so. And the second, I could logically, consistently, as a scientist, be a scientist and believe in God. And then the third question was, well, did I believe? Was that something real to believe in? You know, if I picked up the telephone and talked to God, would someone answer at the other end? Yeah. And so I did. I called out to God and I said, hey, are you there? Um, and I was... So what happened? Yeah, I was given this most amazing understanding. I was actually... I lived in South Africa at the time and I was um, on, a, on a sort of a work internship in Sydney. So I was walking along one of those beautiful Sydney rivers and God gave me this picture and this knowledge that God had been there every step of the way, guiding me, protecting me, that he had been very much part of my journey to become a scientist long before I was ready to accept Jesus and follow Jesus. He'd been there. I'd, I'd been a child of God the whole time, wow, whether yeah. I was a follower of Jesus or not. Mm. So, and so he would kept you in that process, but then obviously you had to make a decision. Yeah, I made a decision and um, I decided to walk into a church and talk to people and I've walked into many churches and spoken to many people since then. And, you know, God's people have just been unbelievably amazing mm. in my journey. And then I've come to the place where I can be one of God's people to help other people along their journey. Mm. And that's, that's a privilege too. Wow, wonderful. So did becoming a Christian then enhance or detract from your understanding of science? Oh, yeah. Well, I've already alluded to the fact that, you know, Becoming a Christian, believing in God, gave me a context and a reason to enjoy studying science and studying the universe like I did, you know, when I was studying astrophysics full time. Um, it gave me an understanding of why I wanted to do that. Mm. And it gave me a context for doing that more fully. Um, and actually sort of a greater appreciation for just how fantastic God is <laughs> yeah. um, in the, the scales that uh, we're just not equipped to think about. Yeah. Um, wow, so they, they kind of fed each other, my science and my faith, and fantastic. still do. That's great. It's great to hear, Christina. So thanks so much for sharing. So just today's big question for you and Christina. So hasn't science disproved God? Nah. <laughs> Thanks so much for sharing. Big, um, thank you so much for sharing. Christina, Dr. Christina Smith has shared some of her testimony and her reflections. So a big round of applause for Christina. Thank you very much for sharing. So there we have it. 
three big questions and three different responses. It's interesting how much the person of Jesus features in the answers and reflections of each of our guests. I mean, indeed, when asking life's biggest questions, many people find answers in the person of Jesus. American author and pastor Tim Keller was once asked, why can't you give me a watertight argument for the existence of God? Keller responded by saying, well, what if God didn't send us a watertight argument, but a watertight person, Jesus Christ, against whom in the end there can be no argument? Jesus comes to be the answer to our big questions. And this idea is captured in a Bible verse in the opening chapter of the Gospel of John, one of the four biographies of Jesus' life we have. In John 1.14, it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, in ancient thought, the word referred to the logical principle from which the universe came, and it was the force by which the universe was upheld and animated. It was a powerful and comprehensive idea, but the word was invisible and almost philosophical. But to many, it was still a very real way of explaining the origin and sustenance of the universe. And yet here, extraordinarily, John uses this word and concept to describe Jesus. John is claiming that this logical and creative force was indeed Jesus. And then he makes the even more extraordinary claim that this word became a human. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now in ancient thought, the word never became flesh and the gods never dwelt among people. But this is one of the unique elements of the Christian faith, that God in Jesus came to reveal God, to speak for God, to act as God's revelation to the world, his word to the world. So if we want to know if God is real, well, we can look to Jesus. Not just a logical principle behind the universe, but a human who reveals the truth of God to us. And this passage says that John has seen the glory of God. The glory, the ultimate magnificence and greatest achievement of God is not just his authority and power displayed in human form. According to the Gospel of John, Jesus' glory is revealed, ironically, through his suffering, his death and subsequent resurrection. So it's interesting that Jesus' suffering is connected to his glory. And this shows that, as Sandy was saying, that maybe it's just too simple to say that the presence of suffering in our world is a reason to reject the reality of God. Jesus himself suffered. And this demonstrates that suffering is not inconsistent with the God of the Bible, because it's through Jesus' suffering that, as Karen shared earlier, that God can fix the mess in our lives. And that is a glorious thing. As all of our guests have shown, Jesus can make a difference today. He's made an enormous difference in their lives, especially Karen, who said that if it wasn't for Jesus, she wouldn't be alive today. Perhaps this outcome is consistent when following someone who comes full of grace and truth. So thanks for joining us for our special three-in-one Bigger Questions show. And let me leave you with some of the Bible's answer to these big questions. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Thanks very much to our guests today, Karen Morris, Sandy Citro, and Dr. Christina Smith. Enjoy Bigger Questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com slash biggerquestions.